Hello, and welcome back to another JOP podcast. This is Dr. Bob Miller from the JOP Editorial Board. Well, we hope you survived another ASCO annual meeting with uh, 33,000 of your closest of friends. For today's podcast, we're going to take a look at a special series, uh, which was in a supplement to the May JOP issue entitled Payer Provider Relationships in Oncology. Now, this is actually the second podcast in a row where we're going to be talking about a care delivery and reimbursement model called the patient-centered medical home. And I think this is uh, something that is probably still fairly unfamiliar to most oncologists. My guest, Dr. John Sprandio, is an oncologist who is actually quite an expert on this topic. Dr. Sprandio is the lead physician of consultants in medical oncology and hematology, or CMOH, which is his medical practice outside of Philadelphia, and Oncology Management Services, which is his consulting firm. CMOH is the only medical oncology practice in the country that has been recognized by the NCQA as a patient-centered medical home. Welcome, John. Thank you, Bob. So talk a little bit first about the background. Uh, you, you mentioned the Medicare Modernization Act of 2003 as sort of setting into motion some fundamental changes in chemo reimbursement, you know, certainly something that had profound effects on many U.S. oncologists. What did, what does some of the recent data from COA show about the changes we're seeing in the site of cancer care delivery? Well, Bob, as you know, the there's been a significant shift of community-based uh, independent practices uh, towards the institutionally-based model of delivering cancer care. Prior to this shift that we've really witnessed since 2008, the majority of patients were treated in the community-based setting. Uh, perhaps 85% of all cancer patients were, retreat- were treated in that independent practice setting. Mm-hmm. Um, since 2008, there's been a significant shift uh, with that shift accelerating in 2010 and 11. Uh, towards a uh, institutionally-based model. The, the issue with that, Bob, is that uh, oftentimes with that shift uh, comes significant um, uh, changes in the, the cost of care delivery. So you suggest in your article that uh, community-based physicians perhaps have not really been leading the response to these economic challenges, that, that third parties are, are perhaps doing things that we should be doing. What are some of the limitations that you see in the third-party pathway programs and and some of the migration of care to these hospital and other institutional-based settings? Well, the uh, chemotherapy pathway programs, um, you know, should be embraced in terms of their ability to standardize care and and really uh, provide some framework for quality uh, metrics regarding the actual uh, choice of chemotherapy agents and the, the execution of, of, the, of chemotherapy delivery. And they have had some positive effects uh, on partially addressing uh, these quality of care and some cost issues. Um, but, they, but they really do provide a, uh, a limited advancement in the value proposition from a patient service and disease management and even a long-term payer perspective. So I, I think that the pathways are, are, are helpful um, guidelines are also helpful um, uh, in terms of standardizing a therapy within a practice, um, but the the potential benefit in terms of controlling costs uh, and 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 keeping um, cancer care uh, accessible to uh, a broader number of patients, uh, it really doesn't meet uh, some of the the additional need right at this point uh, for controlling costs and standardizing care. 
um, it, it's still built around the pathway system uh, programs are still built around. Uh, they're centered around a modified buy and build drug reimbursement model, mm-hmm. and the, the patient-centered value proposition uh, that we're proposing is actually uh, absent from these models. Uh, in addition, the the, the amount of, of savings um, in, in terms of the total cost of cancer care is uh, somewhere in the order of you know three percent of the total cost of cancer care for for a pathway program that's well adhered to. Um, now there there are additional potential uh, savings in terms of decreased admissions uh, and and so on, uh, but that's not the major focus of those programs. Regarding the institutional settings, as I, as I mentioned, there's been a pretty dramatic shift in the site of care delivery, and it, it's basically the migration of independent practices uh, towards the economic shelter that uh, institutional programs can provide. And oftentimes, uh, we, what we've seen in the last two or three years is with that shift, uh, it comes sometimes a, a, a substantial increase in the cost of care uh, without any uh, immediate or clearly demonstrable uh, enhancement of quality. And when that happens in, in the delivery of, it, of medical care and oncology care uh, specifically is when you increase cost without increasing quality substantially, uh, you diminish value. So, you know, I think that we're, we're seeing a... A, uh, a period of rising uh, cost for the, the actual delivery of care uh, with this migration. So tell me a little bit about your experience in your practice in setting up this patient-centered medical home. So you, you said in your article that you were formally recognized by NCQA, I think it was 2010, but I, I gather this was probably a very uh, involved process that started long before that. Just give us a background of, of why you did this and what kind of steps you took to implement it. Well, Bob, it, it became, um, well, first of all, we're in a very competitive marketplace in southeastern Pennsylvania regarding cancer care. Uh, we compete with uh, three NCI-designated uh, uh, comprehensive cancer centers that are institutionally based. And um, it's, it's, so it's a pretty um, competitive environment. So we, we were always um, interested in um, uh, differentiating our services and our practice. And, and we, we really paid attention to uh, a lot of the uh, additional critiques from the IOM regarding palliative management of palliative symptoms and palliative care in general, how we deal with uh, the survivorship phase of care, uh, and, and, and also the, how we value cancer care in an, in an era of increasing uh, cost uh, that outpace uh, the, the increasing cost of um, medical care in general. So we went on a, a mission in 2003. Uh, it was coincident with the passage of the uh, Medicare Modernization Act. Uh, but we went on a mission to really streamline and standardize uh, our, our processes and our practice. So it called for a re-engineering of our process of care. We, we tried to minimize clinically irrelevant physician activity. Uh, we we uh, wanted to refocus uh, with the patient in the center part of the equation. And we wanted to fix accountability uh, at the patient position locus uh, for all of our uh, positions in our practice. And we, wanted, we knew that there were major deficits regarding uh, communication and coordination of care in, in cancer care in general, regardless of whether it was a community-based uh, setting or an academic setting. Sure. So we, we, we did this, and, and um, you know, we, we uh, turned around in 2007 or 2008 and realized that we um, met the, the NCQA criteria for level three patient-centered medical home recognition. Uh, so we, we actually applied, and, and uh, they uh, recognized us in, in April of 10. 
So it sounds like you were you had sort of put the process in place before formally realizing this would qualify as the designated NCQA standard. It sounds like you sort of realized that after the fact. We we did, but but you know, but, but Bob, if you look at it, it's not really a mystery because uh, the NCQA, in terms of of uh, constructing their patient centered medical home model, uh, was paying attention and addressing the same issues that we were addressing. Um, not not in oncology care specifically, but in in medical care in general, uh, the fragmentation and the, and the deficiencies in, in the U.S. healthcare system uh, are, are pretty obvious, and and the the ways of, of approaching them um, in terms of the, the the fundamental way that care is delivered uh, is is actually in retrospect you know pretty predictable. So, what kind of results have you seen? Uh, we've we've uh, we've seen significant change in resource utilization within our practice, uh, really in in three major uh, components. Um, we've we've been able to significantly reduce uh, ER utilization in our chemotherapy patients. Uh, we've had a reduction of approximately 68% uh, in, in ER referrals per chemo patient per year uh, since 2006, and it's been a steady decline that really hasn't plateaued. Uh, we've had a, a 10% reduction uh, in ER utilization uh, from 2010 uh, through 2011, uh, and it hasn't really plateaued. When you control ER utilization by enhancing access and increasing patient engagement, all those principles, uh, some of the principles regarding the NCQA uh, recognition process, uh, you uh, control admissions, unnecessary admissions. Um, the, our patients are complicated, as you know, and, and uh, uh, the physicians, the medical oncologists who are caring for these complicated patients uh, can best advise, um, uh, first of all, whether an ER visit's necessary. And if you avoid an ER visit, you avoid uh, a nervous ER doc from admitting the patient uh, unnecessarily. So we, we, we saw a significant reduction uh, in admissions, since 2007, we've seen a 51% reduction in our rates of admission per chemotherapy patient per year, uh, and and that hasn't plateaued either. Uh, from 2010 through 2011, we we dropped another 12%. That's partially because um, of of the way that we review our our data and our process. We can focus on different things. So, for example, the reduction in ER utilization and admissions uh, in, in 2011. Uh, came a little bit more from uh, reducing uh, those services or controlling those services uh, in the last 30 days of life. You know, as you review data internally and and you really embrace the the idea of a, of a process of continuous improvement, um, you you really see you find opportunities that uh, are maybe unique to your practice or maybe unique or not so unique among all oncology practices. So we've had those kind of results. We've also had uh, since 2009, we've had a, a 34% increase in uh, length of stay uh, in hospice um, as well. And, um, you know, those three um, uh, areas of, are, are significant in terms of, of um, uh, resource utilization. We've also been able to show decreased use of chemotherapy in the last 30 days of life uh, in the past uh, uh, 24 months as well within our practice. So it's it's um, basically uh, the the model is, is really uh, centered around um, uh, something that's already out there, the template that the NCQA has provided, um, and the the results um, uh, and the the uh, continuous improvement in the results 
is really based on a, a rapid learning system with feedback for individual physicians as well as the practice in general. That's very interesting. I, I think the first reaction most people would have is that obviously the payers have to buy into this. So I was just wondering, is this something that you approach the payers one by one, or did they kind of hear that you guys were doing this and came to you? Can you speak a little bit about your relationship with the payers and, and their buy-in? Well, I can tell you that uh, reforming the way that we delivered cancer care within our practice was a lot easier uh, than um, executing uh, payment reform. Um, the, the, um, and, and there are several barriers that are, that are completely reasonable and, and um, you know, well understood by me. Uh, the, you know, we've had uh, a lot of interest from payers, from national payers and local payers, um, and we've had a lot of discussions. Um, we, we don't have a, uh, a contractual platform built around this model at this point in time uh, that would encourage other practices to undertake what we undertook. Now, the, the reason for that, the barrier for the practices is, number one, uh, there's some technology barriers for some practices, or, or a lot of practices. And number two is, you know, when you really, really get good at taking care of patients, uh, and you keep them out of the ER, you keep them out of the hospital, uh, and you uh, administer less chemotherapy, uh, in, and, and we actually have documented that we, we have had uh, less frequent office visits for our patients who are receiving chemotherapy, because of the standardization of the visit and the, the uh, completeness of the process, um, you know, you, you hurt yourself economically. So we, we, there, there's no reason that any practice should really do this unless there's some uh, type of economic uh, uh, arrangement to support the transformation and then to uh, support the practice so that we can continue to function and continue to answer the, the call of, of improving quality and, and uh, improving value. Uh, we're close uh, in terms of uh, discussions with uh, national payer and local payer regarding uh, a, a platform, a payment platform could support this. Uh, it's been a long process. Uh, we do have a, a uh, you heard me speak before, but we do have a, a small contract, uh, meaning that with a small number of patients in our practice, uh, with a, a, a Medicaid HMO that clearly understands uh, what we've done mm -hmm. uh, and has uh, supported our efforts uh, for their patient population. Um, the challenge, Bob, is for, for us is to expand and verify this model. Uh, the results that I mentioned are, are from one practice, our practice. And even though we've extended this model to a similar size practice, uh, independent practice in Philadelphia, um, the, the the burden is really on us uh, to to really prove the uh, validity and even to re, and to, f to further prove the reproducibility. So we're we're really on a our, our goals for 2011 are to really expand and verify this model. Um, we're uh, planning to uh, develop a clinically integrated network of independent practices in southeastern Pennsylvania uh, and further test this model in, in a rigorous fashion. Uh, with an academic partner, um, and we've um, started doing practice assessments and gap analysis uh, for those practices that are interested in participating. Uh, we also have worked um, fairly um, extensively with uh, the NCQA, um, ASCO, uh, and uh, COA in terms of, of uh, developing uh, or encouraging the, the development of a, a unified uh, principle and unified model uh, of the oncology patient-centered medical home. 
Um, this is a multi-stakeholder change, um, and ACOA has uh, actually led the way uh, in developing a, a steering committee. Uh, I do serve on the steering committee, but it's a it's a it's a multi-stakeholder, 18-member steering committee uh, that is. Um, uh, reviewing and, and uh, making uh, some uh, significant uh, suggestions uh, regarding quality and outcome measurements. Uh, uh, they've done uh, some work regarding uh, patient satisfaction um, and so on. The, the NCQA is, is now um, uh, very much interested in, in um, looking at this model um, and, and basically uh, uh, they, they're interested in focusing on oncology uh, to develop criteria uh, that will be uh, national criteria. Uh, so there's some standardization around this this concept and model. The, the importance of the NCQA's involvement as the recognizing entity uh, can't be um, overstated, I, I don't think, um, and uh, because it, 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 it provides a, a, a uniform model uh, that payers can respond to. That, then I think that's extremely important uh, in terms of the, the timing uh, of, of, um, of the, the applicability and acceptance of, of this model. We're entering a, a, an interesting phase of this effort, um, and um, we're very excited about it, um, and we're very excited to be working so closely with the NCQA and ASCO and COA uh, on this effort. What do, what do other oncologists think? I mean, people in your local community and, and other uh, other practices you've come in contact with. I'm, I'm guessing there's a little bit of bewilderment at first about what this is all about. There is, Bob. Um, but, you know, once once we – and this is not, not the kind of a concept that can be, you know, shared uh, and, and completely grasped with a 30-minute um, discussion or presentation um, – uh, most folks that have, that have been uh, uh, to, to more than one or two of my uh, presentations uh, comment that they continue to learn with each presentation. Because there are a lot of aspects uh, of care that we, we really addressed uh, and, and uh, tried to rectify. Uh, but the response uniformly is, gee, I, I would love to practice like this. Or, gee, you know, I think in some ways we do practice like this. And, and so the, the result has been very positive because it's, it's clear that that uh, the type of care that can be delivered in this model is the type of care that every single oncologist would want for themselves or their families uh, if they required this type of care. Sure. It's, it's very much based on, on access, increased access for the patient, engagement of the patient and their families, uh, really a whole patient, uh, a whole person approach uh, to their issues, um, and, and really the, the acceptance of, of um, the responsibility for all the oncologic needs um, of, of our patients. Uh, so the, the, conceptually, the, the acceptance is high. Uh, practically, uh, the, it, it's a scary proposition uh, to invest further in your practice, uh, disrupt your processes of care to some degree. Maybe it's not going to be a big disruption for most practices, but to some degree, and and uh, then potentially harm yourself economically because we're in, we operate in a fee-for-service world, and uh, we're providing care that uh, uh, does not match that type of contract. What what would you say to a, a practice that said to you, "Okay, I want to try this. What what should my first step be? Should I go to a payer, or should I just try this myself and see how it works? How do you advise people? I guess a difference by market, but what what kind of advice would you give to a practice wanting to to, to get on board with this model? 
Well, Bob, it really does depend on the market. What has to happen is you need to have a willing payer, at least one willing payer in the market that understands this. And, and there are you know, several national payers now that, that do understand this. Uh, I mean, it's taken a little while, but, but they, they do understand it. So you need a willing uh, payer, and then you need a, um, a practice with an internal uh, champion who understands the model, uh, who understands the goals and sees the potential long-term value um, for um, not just community-based oncology, but for any cancer program. Uh, but for community-based oncology in particular, uh, because right now community-based oncology is looking for uh, various models of, that provide some economic predictability uh, or provide a sustainable business model uh, for their practices if they're going to remain ind independent. So it requires a willing payer and it requires... Uh, a practice that that uh, uh, embraces the concept and sees the value, um, and um, you know the next steps after that are are to do a you know a practice assessment and and uh, uh, you know uh, oncology medical home gap analysis, which which we actually have been doing, um, and uh, then engage engage payers um, during the transformation process. So I, I got to say, you guys sound very brave to have uh, sort of leapt into this. Uh, being the first uh, at anything is, is pretty challenging when you're facing the economic pressures practices are, are facing. So my, uh, my hat's off to you guys for uh, taking the first step. Well, it, it's, it's not a question of, of, of bravery. It, it, it's a question initially of, of seeing the deficits in the way that care, is delivered, care was delivered, uh, acknowledging that, correcting those. And then recognizing the fact that, that we are in the era of healthcare reform, regardless of what the Supreme Court decides later this month. Um, the, there, in the era of increased, uh, data collection, uh, more reliable data collection, the transparency of data collection, uh, the increased accountability that comes with that, uh, we need to have, uh, all oncologists need to have a model of care delivery, um, that, that, what that really uh, allows us to, to uh, uh, become uh, more responsible uh, and, and able to achieve the goals of uh, better cancer care, uh, better health for our patients uh, at a lower cost. We all recognize that there's significant waste uh, in, in medical care delivery in this country. Uh, there, we, and we, we're well aware of the potential areas of, of uh, wasted resources uh, in cancer care uh, specifically. This model uh, that, that's really based um, on the NCQA, a patient-centered medical home criteria, uh, provides a, a, a care coordination and delivery model that facilitates physician accountability, encourages clinical integration between like-minded oncology practices. It enhances coordination uh, and communication with primary care patient-centered medical home practices. And it, it, it uh, presents a new value proposition uh, to payers all the while uh, that, that it focuses it, it focuses on patient need and evidence based care so it's it's a it's a model that's that's pretty um, pretty broad and addresses a lot of the uh, components and and um, uh, areas of fragmentation and deficits that are that are pretty common in cancer care delivery dr Sprandio, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today about this very interesting work thanks Bob. And thanks again for listening to our podcasts and for your interest in the JOP. Be sure to take a look at all of the other interesting content in the May issue and this special supplement. Please visit our iTunes page to leave a comment about these podcasts 
or email us at jopeditorsdesk at asco.org. This is Dr. Bob Miller for the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Thanks very much for listening.